Good morning, church. Thank you. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. As we continue our annual series on our building campaign, which we call our Multiply Initiative or our Multiply Fund, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning, and the title of our sermon is Take Hold of True Life. Take Hold of True Life. What if God has designed your heart to be glad not in getting, but in giving? What if God has designed your heart to be glad not in getting more money and more possessions and more things, but in giving more money and possessions and things? What if more stuff is not the way to happiness, but actually more sacrifice is the way to happiness? If this were true, how might your life look differently? If your happiness wasn't tied to getting more, was, but was actually tied to giving more, what might change in your life? We're going to be looking at 1 Timothy 6, but before we do, I want to remind you of a familiar story from Jesus' life and ministry uh, in Mark 10, which you don't have to turn to. I'll tell you the story. Uh, it blew me away to go back over this today or this week. Mark tells us that there was this time when Jesus was setting out on a journey, and a man, who we're about to find out was a very rich man, he was a wealthy guy. He ran up to Jesus, knelt before him, and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, so I want you to imagine this scene with me, okay? Try to get this in your head. Uh, there is a man. He approaches Jesus. He is young. He is rich. This would be an influential man, and he's eager, right? He runs up to Jesus and kneels before him. So Jesus is about to go on a trip, and you got a guy coming up. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on just a minute before you go. And running up to him, kneeling before Jesus, asking how to inherit eternal life. I mean, for all of us who are praying about evangelism, that's like the evangelism encounter we want, right? Like, Lord, give me the easy one. Someone coming up and just saying, Yo, please, sir, how do I inherit eternal life? Yes. That's what, and, 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 this, and, and this is what we would call a prime prospect, right? I mean, this, this, think about what this guy could do for the kingdom of God. Right, I mean, he is young, he has got his whole life in front of him, and, and he is wealthy, so think of all the good things he could fund. This is a man of consequence. His testimony, I mean, word would get out about this. So think of all that this man might do for God's purposes in the world. If a guy like this came up to you and me in the manner that this man came up to Jesus, wouldn't you be thinking, man, this is, we've got to get this guy in the kingdom. We've got to get this guy in. So what did Jesus do? Well, he answered the guy, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In other words, he's saying, are you prepared to confess me as God? Then, Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So Jesus goes then and he raises the bar really high. He told the guy that obeying the commandments is the way to eternal life. And this guy, he just runs right into this. He replies, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. 
And this sets up Jesus to go straight for the man's heart then. Says, or it, Mark says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Looking at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. I read that, and I think, if I'm honest with you, right, like I Jesus does everything right, so I know he's doing the right thing. But there's a part of me that reads that and just thinks, Jesus, are you crazy? What? That's how you answer this guy? No, like, you know, just invite me into your heart and you will be saved. Like, Jesus, that would have been so much easier to say. Or no, like, leading him in praying a prayer and assuring him, you're in the kingdom, buddy. Come on, we'll work on stewardship principles as we go. Instead, Jesus called him to give up the one thing he loved more than God. His money. Jesus called him to give away all of it and to follow him. And this guy, I mean, he lived this pious life. He's this good-looking guy from the outside. He only lacked one thing, and that one thing is what Jesus demanded. And Mark tells us the man was disheartened by the saying and went away sorrowful, for he had Great possessions. So here's what this guy wanted. This, this is what this guy wanted, right? This guy wanted his best life now and forever. Right? Like he wanted to keep all his possessions so he have a good life now and he wanted his best life ever. He wanted to inherit eternal life as well. Now, he wanted his best life now and forever, only he didn't understand what his best life now should look like. He thought it was in the abundance of possessions. And, like, really, honestly, is he any different than us? Is he any different than us? Don't, don't we find it easy to think that our best life now is going to have to do with how well we're living, how comfortable we are, how many possessions we have, how secure we feel. Now, all that to say, here's what I really want to draw out of this story. All that to say this. Did you notice in the story that we're told Jesus, looking at him, loved him? Jesus, God in the flesh, loved this man. Means, he wasn't like just trying to set the bar really high and say, you want to follow me, you got to be radical. It means Jesus wanted the best for this guy. He wanted him to be happy. Jesus also wanted this man to have his best life now and forever. And we need to understand that. Jesus is not calling this man away from pleasure. He was calling him to pleasure. Jesus promised him, you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus is not calling this man to some kind of tragic poverty. He was calling him to true prosperity. Jesus was saying to him, you can have what you want. You can have even more than you could imagine. Jesus was saying to him, give away what you have and you'll get something even better. I mean, think about this. Jesus is not telling this man, stop thinking about wealth. He's telling him, no, start thinking about real wealth. He's saying to him, stop living for short-term treasures which you cannot keep and start living for long-term treasures which you'll never lose. 
He's talking to a wealthy man in the sense of finances. What Jesus is saying to this man and what he is saying to us this morning is that following him means we really believe it is better to give than to get. And we know that because that's the gospel, right? Just a few verses later in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus explains his own mission, the reason why he came. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to what? Give his life as a ransom for many. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the mission of Jesus Christ. It's giving. And if we are truly following him, we believe this with all our heart, that it is not just the way of salvation, but it is also the way of living. It is better to give than to get. And Jesus promises, Jesus promises to make up for everything we lose. Jesus, also, in his kindness, also promises to make up for everything we lose. If we give up treasure in this life, he says, yet you will inherit eternal treasure in the life to come. He goes on in the same passage to say, if you give up your family in this life, well, you get a new and bigger family in the family of Jesus Christ. If you give up your home now, well, you gain a home prepared for you by Christ in heaven. I think Christians who go as missionaries over there often get this better than Christians who stay as missionaries right here. And I use that language intentionally. Because we're no different. We're both missionaries. Those of us who stay right here should be able to say with every missionary over there and with Jim Elliott, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And we should be able to agree with Hudson Taylor when after 50 years of missionary labor in China, where he lost five of his nine children to the harsh conditions of China, and his first wife, died there from lack of medical care on the missionary field, where he lived a plain life and s- suffered the persecution of that government and saw many friends die for Jesus. After 50 years of that, he could still say, I never made a sacrifice. I never made a sacrifice. I have in my notes here. Can we say the same? I can't say that. I can't say that. I don't even know how to say that. Today we're going to talk about money, about storing up treasures in heaven, about taking hold of true life. But here's what I don't want you to miss. I don't want you to miss that Jesus is not calling us to invest in eternity. That's not all he's talking about. This is not all we're going to talk about today. What we're talking about is come and follow me. That's what Jesus called us. This is about following Jesus. This is about making Jesus our greatest treasure. We give up all to follow him, and in so doing, we gain the whole world. I think you guys are missing something that we've been working on the last two weeks. So I was told that if I wanted more interaction from you guys, that I need to have pregnant pauses. And so I have left several pregnant pauses so far, and no one is saying anything. I forgive you. <laughs> so <clears throat> those at home watching, you can participate as well. This is fun. You can speak to your TV. So when I give you that pregnant pause... And you think, ooh, ouch, or so you know. Then you go, ow. Some kid said that. Or if you think like, good point, you know. Then you say, amen. Or if you think my heart needs to hear this, you say, preach it, because you're not yelling at other people to hear. You're you want me to keep going at you. You see how this works? Okay, so um, we're gonna keep going here, and I'm gonna keep helping you, okay? And and you keep helping me, okay? So we'll keep working on this. Um, so we give up to follow all to follow him, and in so doing, we gain the whole world. Amen. Yeah. Listen, this rich 
young man's refusal to do what Jesus was telling him to do with his possessions, to trust Jesus and to let him be Lord of his treasures, caused this man to lose Jesus, to miss out on him completely. And you might be here in the same place today. You are refusing to do what Jesus has told you to do with your finances, and you are missing out on him. This man walked away in sorrow because he was turning his back on joy. And somewhere inside him, he knew that. So my prayer is that none of us walks away in sorrow this morning. That as Jesus speaks to us about how we should use our money, about how we should store up our treasures in heaven rather than on earth, that we won't harden our heart and turn our back on Jesus, but will instead give up everything to follow him. That we will gladly give up what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. And so our passage today is 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 6 through 10, and then we're going to jump down and look at verses 17 through 19. I invite you to please follow along as I read God's word. This is what Holy Scripture says to us. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, With these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Jumping down to verse 17 now. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. May the Lord bless now, may you bless the Lord the preaching, and the believing of your word. This passage teaches us how to think about wealth from a Christian perspective. And this is where we need to begin, if we're going to think about wealth from a Christian perspective. Unless you are visiting from another country this morning, then you are... Uh, most likely, if you're here and you're not visiting from another country, you are most likely ridiculously wealthy. You might not feel rich this morning, but by all accounts, most if not all of us here are. Just to give you a little bit of a global perspective, if you make $25,000 a year, you are in the top 10% of the world's wealthiest people. If you make $50,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people. If you have running water, food on your table, clothes in your closet, I mean, if you have a closet, you are wealthy. Add to that access to medical care and public transit, and you are ridiculously wealthy. 
And this is important to understand. Because you may be thinking, yeah, but we live in a very expensive culture, Jason, so you don't understand, you know, like how money goes here. No, I do understand. I live here too. But the passage doesn't say, but as for the rich in their culture, in their, you know, in their community, it says for the rich in this age. So it's important to understand what we're talking about here because when we see scriptures talking about the rich, one of the greatest temptations in our minds is to think of other people as the rich. We can be tempted to think of the family that lives in the bigger house or that wears the fancier clothes or that dines on the best food or that drives the nicer car or maybe those who are older and established in a career, a long-term career. We can be tempted to think the rich are those other people when actually they are us. We are the rich. In his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, Randy Alcorn writes, My interactions with people as a pastor, teacher, counselor, and researcher, as well as my observations of my own tendencies, have convinced me that in the Christian community today, there is more blindness, rationalization, and unclear thinking about money than anything else. Now, Mr. Alcorn has written one of, maybe two of the best books out there I know of about thinking about wealth from a Christian perspective, and it is his conviction that among Christians today, at least here in the West, I think is what he's talking about, there is more blindness, rationalization, and unclear thinking about money than anything else. So, just so you know, on average, American evangelicals, uh, American evangelicals, that's us, give 2.4% of their income, 2.4% of their income to their church. And another 0.8% to additional charities, which I assume are mostly missions, missionaries and ministries. That's a, a total... I won't use the word grand because it's not grand. That's a total of 3.2% of their income. For every $1,000, that's 32 bucks. Now compare that against how much we spend on loans for bigger houses than we actually need or for nicer cars than we actually need. Or for pet supplies. Or for organic food. Or for supplements. Or for health care. Or for gun collections or for prepping, or for nice vacations, or for home improvements, or for homesteading, or for eating out, or for extracurricular activities for the children, or for fill in the blank. If I didn't step on your toes yet, Insert now whatever would offend you. I'm not trying to say any of that is bad. In fact, I'm picking things that I don't think are bad in and of themselves. But I am trying to point out we're not just talking about mansions and Mercedes. We're talking about expendable income. We're talking about spending the money God has entrusted to us to try and make our best life now with possessions, with services, with subscriptions. While we tell ourselves, it could be worse, I could be more extravagant, and after all, it's all for the family. It's all for the good of the kids. It's all for this vision we have for a good family life here. Wholesome. 
Remember what Jesus taught in Matthew 6.21? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You notice Jesus doesn't say, for those of you wealthy enough to have a lot of extra money, I'm talking to you about your treasure. He's, everybody's got treasure. My four-year-old has a little piggy bank. He's got treasure, right? Everybody's got treasure. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your money is, is where your heart is. So you might say, I don't love money. I, I don't desire to be rich. There's, there's nothing in me that desires to be rich. Okay, maybe you don't. But show me where your money is. Show me what you spend your money on. Jesus says that what we spend our money on reveals our heart. So if after the service today, I gave out everyone who was here $10,000, good day to come to church, right? I give everybody $10,000. Bert's paying for it, so it's good. I give everybody $10,000. What would you do with it? Maybe you would do the really responsible thing and save it, right? Maybe you would do the really responsible thing and save it. Fine. That sounds good. Who could blame you for doing that? Who could blame you for doing that. I just want to know, would you pray about it? And if God told you to do something different, would you do it? Even if it doesn't make financial sense to you? This may cause some problems later today, but... I'm good with that. I'm guessing in most of your marriages, one person takes the lead on finances. One person manages the finances for you. So here's what I'm going to ask. The spouse that does not manage the finances, I would like to ask you to ask the spouse that does manage finances, if you all gave everything this last year that you had it on your heart from the Lord to give, were you faithful in giving? Now, some of you are fine with that conversation, but some of you are here, and the spouse that doesn't manage the finances is, is, does not want to have that conversation, not just because of the marital conflict that's going to come potentially, which by the way, we're here all week in the offices. If you need help, give a call. I'll make a mess, but I'll help clean it up. But you don't want to have this conversation because if you all have not been faithful to give what you should be giving, you don't want to do what's needed to make it right. And the spouse that does manage the finances, I may be lost you for the rest of this sermon because you're dreading that question coming and you don't want to do what it takes to make it right. Singles are thinking, Whew, I missed that one. Whew. Sometimes it does pay to be single. Wow. Okay. Community group leaders, this week or next week, when your community group meets, good question to ask your group. Ask everyone if they gave this last year what they believed God wanted them to give. And if not, are they going to make it right? Are they going to repent? And also, community group leaders, pay attention to those who skip that meeting and follow up with them personally. Now, I'm not up here like trying to like preach down on you guys at all. I've been so convicted under all this. And uh, if you guys know anything about my wife, when we get through this sermon, she's going to want to sell all that we have and move us into a hut. 
She's already make. I bet she's already Googled that, like how to move into hut and live with six kids and a dog. Like she's, she's probably already trying to figure it. So I'm not making this easy on myself either. Is what I'm trying to say. But I am trying to get us open and honest about discipleship in this area of our life. There can be a lot of blindness rationalization, and unclear thinking about money. And that's why we need passages like the one we are looking at today. Because in it, listen, hear hear this please, I believe God is looking at us with so much love. Just like Jesus looked at that rich young man. And God is saying to us, I do not want you to waste your life on stuff that does not last. I want you to invest in what does last and know what happiness there is in following me. And so I believe God is speaking to us in love this morning and he is helping us. He wants us to take hold of true life. But how do we do it? How do we take hold of true life with our finances? How do we, with our money, truly live? Well, I believe God gives us Four ways to do so, four, a four-point plan, if you will, uh, about how to take hold of true life with our finances here in First Timothy chapter 6. And the first point is cultivate humility before God. Cultivate humility before God. Verse 17, we read, As for the rich in this present age, so again, that's you and me, right? We're the rich in this present age. Charge them not to be haughty. Don't be proud because the Bible teaches us every good thing you have comes from God and belongs to God. Pregnant pause. Right, 1 Corinthians 10, 26, 4. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God owns everything. And, James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light. So, every good thing that you have comes from God, and they're actually not yours, they're His. Which makes you the manager or the steward of God's stuff. So manage them, steward them for the owner's purposes according to the owner's priorities for the owner's glory. Whatever brings the owner, who is the Lord, the most glory, use the wealth he's entrusted you with for that. Now, practically speaking, uh, hear me on this, okay? Practically speaking, that does not mean you have to give all your money to the church and to missions. Not necessarily. Maybe. I'm not going to throw it out the window. But not necessarily. God, listen, that's the problem with, with, with the Bible and money, right? Because you read one verse and you think, I'm supposed to give everything away. And then you come into a passage like this, and he also says that he has given us everything to enjoy. Well, am I supposed to give everything away? Or am I supposed to enjoy what he's given me? And as one person so aptly answered in first service, the answer is yes. That's the need for humility. To let God direct you with what to do with his money. And so one very practical application of this is praying over how you spend and invest your money, his money. Ask him. Ask him. A humble person will ask God, How do you want me to spend this money?
only. You also have to listen and obey. Ask, expecting an answer, listen and obey. You want to take your family on a really nice vacation this year. That may be fine. Only ask God if that's okay. Ask Him, listen, obey. You may be driving the same car you have driven for 20 years. It's rusting out. There's, there's a hole where your foot should go. You drive with your foot up, because otherwise you'll be Fred Flitzen on the ground. And you think, this is the year for an upgrade. This is the year. I have stewarded this car well. I drove it into the ground. I have gotten the most out of it. I can get out of it. I'm finally going to upgrade from a cassette player to a CD player. It's going to be amazing. And, and, and I'll, I'll do it to the glory. You know, I'll try to be responsible in what I'm getting. And all of us would look at you and say, yeah, that makes sense. We can't blame you for doing that. Of course. Sure. And maybe. Only it's not your car and it's not your money. Ask God. He might, have, he might say to you, you idiot, I told you that three years ago. Aren't you listening? <laughs> Been trying to bless you. Or he might say, wait another year. And give that money over here. Cultivate humility before God. Point number two, set your hope on God. Set your hope on God. Again, verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Don't think you're secure because you have stuff. You are secure because you have God. And if you don't have God, even if you have all the wealth you can imagine, you're actually very insecure. Don't hope in the gifts, hope in the giver. Riches are uncertain. They are here one day and they are gone the next. We have seen this in our country, in our culture, you know, since the Great Recession in 2008 and then again over the last few years. But the market goes up and the market goes down and the market goes up and the market goes down. One day you've got a job, the next day you don't. Today there's peace, tomorrow there's war. Today everyone's healthy and tomorrow there's a pandemic. You don't know. So, hope in God. Because he is certain. Seek your contentment in God. This is what verses 6 through 8 say, back up into the part we read earlier. These verses, I mean, these are so powerful. Look again at verse 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Now, who doesn't want more contentment in their life, right? Who, who doesn't want freedom from that dogged desire to want more? Who, who, who would like some more contentment in their life? Anybody? Sounds good? Yeah. Okay. You and you and you and you. You Excellent. Uh, you guys get it. Okay. I wish I could just hand it out like that, right? But, but no, content, we all want more contentment. Contentment is great. Jeremiah Burroughs, in his classic book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, defines contentment like this. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Wow, I read that and I think, man, I'd like some more of that. I'd like some more of that. Jeremiah's book is excellent. If, you, if you've never read it, uh, read it. Uh, the Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Uh, I want some more sweet, inward, quiet, 
gracious frame of spirit which freely submits and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I want some more. If you want more of that, then don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. And according to our passage, this is where it presses me, Christians can and should be incredibly content. They should be incredibly at peace with just their bare minimum needs being met. Just their bare minimum. Verse 8 says, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. If we have food, we have clothing. And note, it doesn't say if we have organic food. Can I just make that point for some of us here? It just says food. If we have food, and cl- not if we get a vacation this year, not if we get to complete that home improvement project, food and clothing. I was so convicted by that this week. That's not how I've been living. That's not how I've been thinking this past year. And I, I don't think it's a passage where he's saying you can only have food and clothing and that's all you should have and everything. No, he's just saying if all you had was food and clothing, that should be enough. That should be enough. And I haven't felt like that. I felt like if I have food and clothing and this and this and we can get this done and that, then I'll be content. And I'm content if we're moving that way. And so I'm asking the Lord to renew my mind because because here's what I believe. I believe this was not written to make us miserable, but to make us happy. I really believe that. God wants to free us from the endless, empty quest for satisfaction in the stuff of this world, from the endless and empty quest to make this life our best life now. God wants to free us to find our satisfaction solely in Him. So like Psalm 103 is right, this wonderful passage, you'll know it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, right? What benefits? The food on my table, my nice house, my working car. Are these the benefits we're to forget not? No, these are the benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? God's benefits that we are never to forget are forgiveness of our sins, always healing of our diseases, redemption from the pit of death, a crown that he pushes on our head of steadfast love and mercy and satisfaction in his goodness. Don't put your hope in stuff. Put your hope in God. And if you're here today and you are not a Christian, well then, we all join you. Just not, not just me. Everybody here, and they're going to say amen in a minute at some point, I'm sure. We all invite you to put your hope in God too. Because he is better than all the stuff of this world. The Lord loves us so much that even though we have sinned against him, rebelled against him, disobeyed like little children against our parents, still he came in the person of Jesus Christ to save us. He came and he lived the life we should have lived and then he died the death we should have died on the cross for our sins and then he was resurrected again to new life so that anyone, anywhere who trusts in Jesus for salvation will be forgiven, will be healed, will be redeemed, will be crowned, will be satisfied with goodness. And so we invite you, believe in Jesus. Set your hope on God. And for all of us here who have done so, let's live differently than this world does. Let's live differently than this world. Let's live like God really is our hope and not the stuff of this world. Let's live like that. Amen? Good. Point number three. This is how you do it. Give generously to others. Give generously to others. Verse 18. They are to do good. The rich of this world, the rich of this age, we are to do good, to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. 
Now again, let me just point out here that God does not say that it's wrong to be rich in this passage. Nowhere does he say that in this passage or in Scripture. He never says it's wrong to be rich. He does warn us against the desire to be rich. But the reality is he gifts some people to be rich. He gifts them to be able to multiply money. I don't know how they do it. I don't have that gift. Uh, but some do. And the Lord bless you with it. Just be aware of the, the temptation to want to be rich. He doesn't tell us it's wrong to be rich. And if you are rich, which I already said we all are, he doesn't say we have to give it all away. Again, remember, he says he provides everything to enjoy, so it's not wrong to be rich or to even enjoy some of the riches that the Lord has given you. But he does say in verse 17 here, or 18 here, that he has made us rich to bless others out of our richness. That's the point of verse 18. We're not supposed to be, get this picture in your head, we're not supposed to be a stagnant pool of self-indulgence but a life-giving conduit of blessing to others. God's riches flowing through us to bless other people. Now, at this point, you might be ready to say, all right, Jace, cut to the chase. How much do you want? Like, how much am I supposed to give? What are you saying, Jace? How much am I supposed to do? But that misses the point. That misses the point. God's command is to be generous and ready to share. This means we don't ask, how much am I supposed to give? It means we ask, how much can I give? Or as John Cortines and Gregory Baumer say in their book, God and Money, a faithful reading of Scripture leads us not to the question, how much should I give? Rather, it leads to the question, how much do I need to keep? Think about that. What might it look like if instead of asking how much do I have to give? We asked, how much do I need to keep? The answer, in some sense, ought to be food and clothing. Everything else is on the table. Everything else, we're free. We're free to give away. It doesn't mean we have to. It means we're free to. And what might that look like? What might it look like if we decided a raise in income didn't necessarily mean a raise in our standard of living, but a raise in our standard of giving? What might that look like? I can give you one picture of what that looked like. It could look like the life of John Wesley. Uh, John Wesley lived in the 1700s, and he was one of the church's great evangelists. And he believed Christians should give away everything but what he called the plain necessities of life, which he said were plain, wholesome food, clean clothes, and enough to carry on one's business. And here's how Wesley lived this out. In 1731... Wesley resolved to limit his expenses so that he would have more to give away. He had an income that year of 30 pounds. His expenses, he determined, living as frugal as he could, with 27 to 28 pounds. So he had two to three pounds to give away. The next year, his income doubled. Now that's what some of us call a good year. Double the income. So 30 pounds to 60 pounds, right? But he still lived on 28 pounds and gave away 32. The year after that, his income went up to 90 pounds. But he kept on living on that 28 pounds, giving 62 away. 
The fourth year, he made 120 pounds. Guess what he lived on? 28 pounds. Gave 92 away. Wesley kept on doing this through the rest of his life, even after his income broke 1,000 pounds annually. He kept on living on 28 to 30 pounds and giving the rest away. Now, listen, I'm not sharing that to say we're all supposed to live like John Wesley did. But I am saying that we are the rich of this age, whether we feel like it or not, and God not only commands us to give generously, but He says our contentment and happiness are tied to how much we give and not how much we get. So, does generosity to others describe you? If you were to share with others, not how much you intended to give last year, but how much you actually gave, would they describe you as a generous Christian? Or if your pastors here were to sit down with you and to pull up the records and look at how much you had sown into the ministry of this church, do you anticipate that being a good conversation or an embarrassing conversation? I've heard it said before, the evidence of how enticed we are by the world's riches is in how much we keep for ourselves and how much we give away. So what would the evidence say about you? Friends, just think about, just think about though, what we could do if we all lived generous lives for the spread of the gospel and for the glory of God and for the good of our own hearts. Think about what a work we could do and what a happy, radical people we might be if we lived lives generously towards others. Which leads us finally to point number four this morning. Point number four, invest eternally for yourself. Invest eternally for yourself. Verse 19 says that the rich who give generously are storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So it sounds crazy to live like Wesley, or to even live a little bit like John Wesley did, but that's kind of the point. The better investment the better investment for your money is not investing into this world, which is passing away, but is to invest in the one to come, which is lasting eternally. Now, Jesus taught us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for, I keep wanting you to see this, yourselves. Uh, Jesus just wants you to think, you know, think with financial sense, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus does not take out personal motivation in all this. He doesn't take out pleasure. You're not supposed to do this out of just some kind of harsh, cold command. No, he's saying your pleasure, your happiness is all wrapped up in you getting, you understand how economics work in the kingdom of God. So, let me ask this, show of hands. How many of you have been on a mission trip before? Raise them up high so we can all kind of see. Maybe half of you have, maybe slightly more. Good, okay, great. I hope all of us can go on one soon. Let's, let's do a mental exercise here. Let's think for a minute. Let's imagine for a minute that we are all going, we get to go all in this together. This is great. We'll take first service too. They can come along. So we're all going on a mission trip to Yemen. Okay, to Yemen where 99.7% of the population is unreached, which means over 33 million people have zero knowledge of Jesus and zero access to anyone who does know Jesus. Over 33 million people. And so we're going to go and labor amongst them for a year. But it's a closed country, and so we all got to get jobs while we're there. We all have to, we have to work while we're there, okay? We're going to be incognito. We're going to be secretly working, making money, having a living, work visas, all that stuff. But secretly, we're telling people about Jesus Christ, and we're trying to build the church there, right? Okay? So that's our mission. That's what we're doing for a year. Now, if that were the scenario, let me ask you, how much of the money you make there in Yemen are you going to use to spruce up your apartment in Yemen? 
How much are you thinking? How much are you on Pinterest looking at how you can make this little apartment cute for the time you're in Yemen? How much are we thinking about how we can get a better car? I don't know if they, I assume they drive cars in Yemen. I don't know. Walk everywhere, take taxis. I don't know. But how much would we be thinking about investing in our life, making it better in Yemen? I mean, sure, we'll probably spring for a few nice meals to get the culture. We might spruce, you know, spring to, to go and, and see a few cultural sites, uh, enjoy what the Lord has brought. We, we may have some of that there, but most of the money we make, we are going to invest it back in the mission because the mission is so great and we're there for just a short amount of time. You're already getting this, right? Christian, this is your life. This is your life. You are on a mission. And again, I'm not saying you can't provide some of the, or take some of the wealth that God has provided you and enjoy some things here, but you are on a mission here and the need is great and you are only here for a short time in comparison to how long eternity is. This is just a brief mission trip that we are all on before we go home and we need this kind of perspective on our life, don't we? Now, there are so many ways for you to give generously and invest eternally. Um, of course, biblically speaking, that begins by taking care of your own family. And then from out from there, it's uh, investing in the local ministries and missions of your church, your church here. Uh, but then outside of that, there are many ministries and missionaries uh, worthy of support as well. But it's at this time of the year that we ask you to consider giving sacrificially toward our building fund, what we call the Multiply Campaign. And and that's because we've outgrown this building and we're saving up for a new mission base, a bigger facility that can better facilitate our mission. And you may think, Jace, like if you're talking about being on mission, like, you know, it kind of feels funny talking about giving to a building. And so like, how do we pull those together? How, how do you think about that? Well, let me tell you how, let me tell you how I want to clarify that this year. Uh, if you're thinking this is just saving up for a bigger and better building in the sense that we are looking for a state-of-the-art facility with this kind of impressive sanctuary where people come in and all think like, this is a great looking place. I really want to be here. And we're filling it with the best equipment. And we're gonna have this charming little children's ministry with a slide that goes down into it. So everybody will think like, that's the children's ministry I wanna go to. And then we've got wood paneling and we've got this coffee shop in the back where we only serve locally sourced fair trade organic coffee. And maybe we got in the back of the lounge back there some of those massage chairs you can put a quarter in and then you know the quarter goes to good causes of course but yeah after some of these tense long sermons and sitting in pews you're like you need a massage chair back there like if that's what you think we are saving up for like i'm investing a lot of multiply fund and it ain't for that that's not the vision of your church we are not saving up for a better building like that. We are saving up for a mission base where we can all gather together, assemble together, because the church is the assembly of God's people, where we can assemble together as one people with one witness, worshiping the God, our God together. We are saving up for a place where we can have room to invite in the least and the last and the lonely and the lost. And we can house ministries that minister to them so that they can know the bread of life, who is Jesus Christ. The fountain of living water, who is Jesus Christ. The liberator of the imprisoned, who is Jesus Christ. The healing of the afflicted, who is Jesus Christ. We want a facility where we can raise up more men like Merrick who we can send off to the pastor's college and then deploy into pastor's ministry, or pastoral ministry. We want a place where we can host conferences to build up the saints and ministries in this community. We want a building where new converts can jump into discipleship classes and grow up in Christ. We want a facility that lets us grow so that we can better support church plants in neighborhoods all around the greater Akron area. And this is why we believe giving to our Multiply Fund is a solid expression of generosity and a sound investment in eternity. We're not buying just a better building. We're investing in the mission. And so I know some of you have wanted to know, like, well, what kind of building exactly are you going to get? And where exactly is it going to be? I just can't tell you that. It's not about that. It's about the mission. 
God is sovereign over where we land and what kind of building. I'm not about to set the parameters here because I can't see that. You know, it hit me this morning and in prayer this morning. Yesterday at my care and counseling seminar, I was sharing about how we care for other people, that waiting is such a huge part of the Christian life, and waiting is not God delaying, but it is God preparing. And it struck me this morning as I was praying through all this, what if we have been waiting for a new building these five years going to the sixth? Is not God's delay, it is God's preparation of us for a neighborhood that we are going to and for that neighborhood to receive us because there are lost people there. If that's what this waiting is, I'll wait as long as the Lord wants us to because it's worth it. It's all about the mission. And so we hope this next week, uh, next Sunday, you will come ready to invest with us in our mission during the announcements next week, we'll collect your pledges. There's not going to be a sermon, and at the end of it, we pick, like we've done in years past, it's going to be during the announcements, we're going to collect your pledges. So I encourage you, please look over your finances, talk with your spouse this week, and ask God, what would he have you give? Let me conclude all this. Let me end all this stuff. Uh, listen, we can't take stuff with us into eternity, right? We can't take stuff. But you know what we can take? People. People. We can take people with us. Our investment in people is our eternal investment. It is our joy, and it is how we take hold of that which is truly life. Investing in others giving generously to others and for others, staying on mission is how we take hold of true life. And it's true life because this is where we walk in fellowship with Jesus who gave everything for us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, right? Paul writes, for you know, and I say this to you all, you know this. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. When we understand and appreciate that Jesus, what Jesus has done to save us, then we are freed to live generous lives. Jesus didn't just give a tenth of himself. Jesus gave it all. He embraced poverty so that we might become rich towards God and his radical act of total self-giving is the only thing that can consistently move us to give beyond the bare minimum. It's not a command we need to motivate us. It is the example of our Savior. It is his generosity that compels us to give. With it, his generosity, he is on a mission to save the world. And with our generosity, we join with him. And in so doing, we take hold of true life. Let's pray the Lord to help us to do that. God in heaven, we receive the illumination that your word gives that we are indeed the rich of the world, the rich of this age. And so we're so grateful that your word gives light for what we are to do with our wealth, the wealth that you have entrusted to us. God, we pray that you would help us to glorify you by using it for the good of others and not just ourselves. I just wanna pray grace over this congregation Right now, God is so gracious to us, and he's so gracious to provide this word. And so I just want to pray grace over marriages that are going to have hard talks about finances today or this week. Grace for people coming to community group to talk about this. Let's be quick to remind each other. Oh God, help us to remember the gospel.
that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. Let's pronounce that forgiveness and grace over one another, and let's, let's take today for what it is, for some of us, a new beginning, a fresh start, new grace needed. And let's just resolve to walk together as a church in generous giving to others, investing in eternity, and partnering in the mission of making Jesus Christ known. God, help us to do that, Lord. Lead us on in this mission. We do pray, pray that you provide a, multiple, or a, a building for us, Lord, a new mission base, God. We pray that you will provide what we need, where we need it. Help us to not hold out for the things of this world that entice us even in a building, Lord. Um, you know, uh, we want it to look nice. We want it to be comfortable. We want it to be new. We want it to you know, be organized just correctly. We want it to be located right where it's convenient. We want to have green grass and a playground. Like all these things, Lord, that, that those would be nice. And if you provide them, we'll enjoy them. But God, help us to not hold out for them. All we need is very little to accomplish our mission. So Lord, help us to stay focused on that mission as a church, Lord. Jesus, you said one thing you lack. Sell all you have, give to the poor. Come, follow me. Lord, help us to follow you. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.